All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight we have a special guest returning from 130 episodes ago, so we'll introduce him when we get into the last night's portion of the show, but uh, this is episode 134, and we're going to be covering Tropic Thunder, which should be a lot of fun. We're going to get, uh, uh, we're going to bust a nut, drink a lot of booty sweat, and... <laughs> My co-host is a great American who we owe a huge debt, but right now he needs to shut the fuck up. How you doing, Robert? You know who I am? I do. Okay, good. Because apparently you weren't sure about that. All right. How's it going, man? I'm doing well. I am uh, just recovering from a day out with the fam. We went to the Splash Park with the girls. It's uh, birthday season for them. They're two weeks and two years apart. Mm. And uh, so we're in that season and I'm taking time off from work to be able to spend time with them. And it's a lot of fun. I got a little bit of sun. So I'm a little bit darker complexion than I would otherwise be, which is quite appropriate for this episode. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Doing blackface. <laughs> I have, I am, All right, Daniel. I'm solar-powered blackface. All right. <laughs> so we're going to do the uh, last air sports of the show in a moment. But uh, the show notes and more can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 134. And if you want to get in on the action of the pre-show and post-show that is available for our Patreon supporters, go to actualanarchy.com slash Patreon. But without further ado... We'll survive and do the last night's portion of the show. Hey everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, The Last Nighters, and The Last Nighters are part of the Launchpad Media Podcast Network. You can find our show and a bunch of other great shows worth checking out over at thelaunchpadmedia.com. This is episode 77 of the show on Tropic Thunder. Show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 77. If you like what we do here, please give us some subscribes and uh, reviews on the old iTunes slash Apple podcast. And that will get us higher up in the rankings and recommendations for other listeners because we want to get those earballs. And my co-host is Robert, and he would agree with me. I'm putting words in his mouth, uh, just like booty sweat tr- tr- trickling down his throat. Right, Robert? <laughs> What's up, my beautiful people? Glad to be back on another episode. We got a fantastic recurring guest who hasn't been with us for a long, long time. I think what was the last time he was with us was the fantastic movie Dallas, Dallas Buyers Club. Dallas right? Buyers yeah. Club, yeah. Yeah, also with the great Matthew McConaughey, just like Tropic Thunder here. So yeah. I think I'm sensing a theme here of uh, McConaughey and at least two and a half years apart. <laughs> Maybe we'll do We Are Marshall in 2022. There you go. But also, you know, both of them are very uh, uh, medical, right? Yeah, yeah. We're going to do some medical stuff here. Sure. That's right. It's Doc Anarchy. He is our returning guest. Uh, Doc, thank you for coming back, gracing us with your presence. My absolute pleasure. You have a prescription for a great episode tonight, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, Why don't you just give our audience a brief, um, you know, reintroduction to who you are and what websites 
or website you want to uh, have them review or check out? Sure. Um, I am a uh, licensed physician specializing in physical medicine rehabilitation and also pain management, double board certified. And uh, I'm starting a podcast called Honoring Ron Paul, uh, starting very shortly. Um, and that is going to be uh, interviewing people who've uh, started or created some type of a product uh, because they've been interested in uh, politics, freedom, libertarianism uh, through Ron Paul. It'd be nice to have uh, one area where people can see all the influence that the Ron Paul and Ron Paul campaigns have had on the world. And that will be at honoringronpaul.com, correct? That is correct. Okay. And I know the site is up now and it's um, not yet with the podcast, but it has like people who have been influenced or sites who've been influenced by Ron Paul. And so there's links to those uh, on there on there right now, I think. Correct. And I'm looking for uh, guests that would like to be on uh, the podcast. So uh, feel free to send that uh, to uh, um, support at honoringronpaul.com. Yes, and that should be on that webpage, support at honoringronpaul.com. If you want to be a guest, take all, right. all comers. All comers. Well, speaking of comers, I think during the pre-show, you mentioned that you would extend the invitation for us to be your first guest on the show. And I think that we would love to do that. So oh, absolutely. Uh, we'll mark it down on the calendar and uh, get that, get that rolling. Uh, speaking of rolling, uh, why don't we get into this discussion of Tropic Thunder here? And this was a movie that uh, I think I mentioned to you in maybe December, I want to say, and you're like, I definitely want to do that one. And here it is June. We're finally doing it. <laughs> Uh, it just goes to show our calendar and, uh, I guess my ability to keep track of things, but here we are. So we start out with the Google description and then we will get reactions to that from you and Robert. And then, uh, we'll go through notes that we have and just kind of have an organic back and forth and, uh, it'll be about an hour or so. So here we go. Tropic Thunder came out in... 2008 action adventure, two hour and one minute, seven out of 10 on the IMDb, 81% Rod Tomatoes and 71% Metacritic. However, 92% of the Google users like it. The description is, while shooting a war film, the director attempts to liven up proceedings by dropping the principal actors into the middle of a real jungle, claiming he is going to capture their performances with hidden cameras. The hapless group, including drug-addled comedy star Jeff Portnoy and Poe-faced method man Kirk Lazarus, are completely unaware when a series of unfortunate events leads them into the middle of a real war zone. Uh, the release date was August 13th, 2008. The director and starring Ben Stiller, uh, the budget was about 90 million, 94 million, something like that. And they doubled it with a box office take of $188.1 million. They got some awards, critic choice for the best comedy movie award and a uh, Academy Award nomination for Best Actor in a Supporting Role, I believe, for Robert Downey Jr. is his turn uh, as a blackface actor in this film, which I'm sure will be uh, not only a uh, controversial subject to talk about tonight, but it was even back in 2008 when this was made. Uh, Robert, your reactions thus far, and then we'll go to Doc Anarchy. Yeah, there's a few things I could respond to, but I guess the main thing I really just want to say is they talk about how they're dumping the people into a real war zone. Well, it's only a real war zone because they basically look like an invading army. They yeah. get mistaken for soldiers or like DEA is what they're the, the guys originally think of. So what they're really doing is just defending their property and against an invading army. So this is really a, a mistaken property rights style thing, not 
not like a war between what you would normally think of as a war between two 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 states or two countries. Yeah, that's a very good point, and um, we could we could uh, discuss that a little bit further. Or do you want to stick with Google description action and then come back, loop around, and do a we'll, second? We'll loop half. around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll loop back around to it. Let's get let's get Doc's take on the uh, Google Descript. Um, I I have no. <laughs> He's ha- he has no words. No words. No words. I mean, it's just uh, standard description. It is always interesting how they have to kind of squeeze these. Uh, uh, concepts. It, it, the thing I found that was interesting was the big discrepancy between viewers that enjoyed it versus the critics. I mean, I guess it had a critic score. What did you say? 72%, but 92% uh, said they liked it. Yeah, uh, yeah. We've noticed that quite a, quite often in the uh, movies that we've done, the episodes that we've done, that the critics are usually much harsher than audiences and the audiences are the ones who pay the bills, quote unquote. So yeah. I, I, I guess, I mean, I guess you do kind of want the critics to be a little more jaded as far as what is good. But at the the same time, I mean, this movie specifically is targeting the uh, media themselves. And so I can easily see the critics feeling somewhat um, attacked because they're part of the movie establishment. And this is definitely um, very much a a send up of movies in general, the self-importance of people in movies, uh, and uh, I, I just, this movie has a real special place in my heart. <laughs> All right. So what, what is the thing that makes it have such a special place? Did you have like a, a bad experience with like a clown when you were a kid? Um, so you're like, you know, anyone in the entertainment industry, I just love, I love being, seeing send up of that. Uh, Cause there, there are quite a few like war movies referenced and mm-hmm. the method actor, of course, Kirk, Kirk Lazarus played by Robert Downey Jr. You know, he like fully embraces the role and like, studies for months or years even to get into character oh yeah that's very similar to like a christian bale type might do or even mcconaughey uh in his turn in dallas fires club which Mm -hmm. you were on for before he lost something like 60 70 pounds uh to play that role but uh bale who i just mentioned he was in a movie called the machinist where he dropped 90 pounds but then he was also uh dick cheney in vice and he was probably i don't know 250 something like that so i mean we've seen christian bale fluctuate like two, two and a half times his body weight uh, and over the course of, I don't know, a dozen years. It's amazing. And then he really got buff for Batman. Uh, he was ripped in that. And that really wasn't that far after The Machinist. Um, you'll have to check the timing on that when The Machinist was filmed and when Batman was filmed. Um, I mean, there's there's got to be a ton of steroids that run around Hollywood. I mean, there, there's no way he, he put that on legitimately. <laughs> Speculation here. Speculation. But that's just not allegedly allegedly. That's just not typically how the human body responds. But yeah, what is the thing that makes this one uh, have that special place in your heart? Uh, probably because I enjoyed it immensely and my brother did not. It comes simply down to sibling rivalry. Uh, he just didn't get it. I just uh, I really enjoy things that are kind of over the top, overly dramatic. And just like um, starting at the very beginning of this um, as that. uh you know, it, it really hooked me right at the fake uh, screen, uh, fake previews. Um, I, I just, uh, they hit the notes so well. Uh, you know, the deep voice talking about Scorcher and uh, Scorcher all of these different little things. Scorcher 3, Scorcher 7. <laughs> yes. Seven to do it again. <laughs> yeah. But this time it's cold. Yeah. And then just that um, initial fighting scene 
where uh, when I when I rewatched it, um, you know, all the gibberish that they're yelling, uh, you know, it just brought up in my little side thing the script. Um, and you know, they talk about the the big thing that that uh, the media talked about was the blackface, but they had so much uh, racist <laughs> talk in that. Uh, it just that a kind of um, there's always those uh, kind of regional nicknames in these uh, movies and whatnot. Uh, and they just took that up to the extreme in that initial scene um, where it has Robert Downey Jr. saying, Motown, get your Detroit jukebox, Jerry Curl has. <laughs> I mean, it is it, just so ridiculous. Um, and, uh, you know, saying things that are completely uh, um, nonsensical in any type of situation, let alone a war situation. Like this is the last Christmas I spend with Victor Charlie up my ass. I mean, it's just, that's for Brooklyn motherfucker. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It, it just, it killed me. I can't, some things just uh, have a connection to you and you can't really explain it. All right. So another thing that's beyond words already. Uh, now with you liking the quotes like that, did you happen to stick around for the second song? I think it was in the credits. It's the Crystal Method song, but in it, they use the quotes as the lyrics, and it actually works pretty well. It's kind of oh, fun. Oh, wow. I did not. Oh, man. I got to go back and see that. All right. So anyone listening, you know, if you like the Crystal Method and you like these quotes from the movie, check it out in the, uh, I believe it's the second song in the in the credits. Speaking of songs, as I uh, went back and watched uh, this again, uh, right at the beginning the song that they were playing as the helicopters were kind of cruising in um, had something about, Oh shoot. I should have written it down. Something about judging him by his skin or because he was black or, or something like that, that really foreshadowed the Robert Downey Jr. Character. And, and just the little things like that. Uh, yeah, the temptation song. I think I couldn't tell you the name of it, but I, uh, my wife and I were old now and our, <laughs> Hearing not so good, especially when the kids are asleep in the next room. So we watch all the shows and movies that we watch with the closed captioning on so we can read it as well. And, you know, sometimes it's hilariously wrong. Um, mm -hmm. But for the most part, you get kind of the gist of it. And in this one, they, they did show the lyrics. And I'm notorious for listening to a song and not really knowing what the words are. So it really helps me to, uh, to see that. And um, I think I actually will try to find the lyrics for this uh for this temptation song because it actually does have a lot of um discussion as much as you can in the song of mm -hmm. racial tensions i think probably in yeah. the 60s back when that song was probably made or or the early 70s you know vietnam era type stuff now the other thing i noticed was that this movie in the very beginning it really did have that feel of an actual vietnam era war movie mm -hmm. and the music definitely played into that and you know the Chopper's flying in. I I felt like I was watching what what is it Apocalypse Now where they're mm -hmm. all flying in, and uh, yeah, I I I think that they did a really good job with that. And then also going over the top with the explosions and the mm -hmm. gore, yes, to the point where you couldn't help but laugh. And it's yeah. like almost almost fucked up because I mean when the guy gets shot in the head, the radio operator guy, oh, it just keeps coming out. <laughs> yeah, the skies are blood, and you know. At first, you're like, oh, my gosh, that's horrific, you know, but then it keeps going and keeps going and keeps going to the point where then it becomes funny. And that I don't know if that's like <laughs> an indictment of me being a terrible person uh, for laughing at that. But I, I think that's definitely one of the things they're going for. You know, some things can be funny 
and then you overdo it and it's not funny and then you really overdo it and it's funny again it's kind of like a boomerang horseshoe type thing yeah and just like uh when um ben stiller is running to try to get on the plane and they just keep shooting him and keep you know it just has all this little blood packets just exploding it's like he gets shot you know 20 or 30 times then he keeps getting up and then he runs out there and grabs him he carries him and then he you know does the uh blocks the grenade in his hands i mean uh, just uh just perfectly over the top right and of course the dialogue was oh uh, when we get back i'm gonna teach you how to juggle (laughs) fingers are all mangled and messed up but uh the 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 scene where he's like getting shot in the back that's like i remember that from tune yeah yeah with willem dafoe getting shot up as he's like almost to the chopper and then he he dies in that movie but uh i think we actually lost robert so hopefully he'll be able to chime back in in a moment here but um what did you feel about the um what's a good question here oh the danny mcbride character the pyrotechnic the pyromaniac uh you know that's the wonderful thing about a free market it turns your pathologies into uh potential marketable skills (laughs) um you know everybody's got a little niche that they can kind of fill and if you do it in a free uh, uh, society, then you can find a a uh, pro-social way to you know get your rocks off to fire. <laughs> well, almost killing Jamie Lee Curtis. Apparently, that was like the one thing that uh, he copped to with the Nick Nolte character. <laughs> Everyone has their foibles. But I also noticed that he had um, you know he said he lost a finger um, doing his job, and they had a bunch of um, prosthetics on his ear. Because I guess he had, you know, the character had been uh, damaged or injured by the pyrotechnics at some point in his in his past. So they really, you know, covered his uh, his history there with building the character. And I thought he was he was not only one of the funnier characters, but he was also ultimately one of the bigger heroes uh, in the movie, as was McConaughey. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, McBride he was the only one who had any offensive weapon to to actually be able to use because everyone else in the movie had. You know, blanks. They're firing blanks out of fake guns. Yeah. And one of my favorite scenes, and we'll get to that in the future. I'm sure it's a lot of people's favorite scenes with the uh, blanks there toward the end. All right. So, Robert, I think we lost you for a moment, but now you're back. Yeah, I'm not sure how back I am, but I'm glad to be here. Well, like I said, you're a great American and we owe you a huge debt. Yes, you do. So, uh, I don't... Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just saying I hope my connection lasts. I don't know what's wrong with it. So, I apologize. What do you mean by you people? (laughs) I apologize to all of you people. What do you mean, you people? All right, we might as well talk about the blackface a little bit now. So the Robert Downey Jr. character, I was reading in in some of the lead up to this that it was Ben Stiller's idea for him to portray this role. And um, I think think Downey Jr. was like, I'm not so sure about this. But then they said, you know, if you commit to it, it'll work. And uh, so then he auditioned over the phone, his his jive talk like vernacular that he was planning on using, and and still was like perfect. Because <laughs> again, it's back to what you were saying earlier, Doc. Like everything in this is so over the top that it almost pushes it beyond the um, realm of being offensive. You know, right? So offensive that it's funny and no longer kind of offensive. Right. And I, I know that's you know it's a subjective thing, so it's really hard to measure. But I think if we were using the reasonable man doctrine. <laughs> I think it would apply. Yeah, very much. I mean, I, I think if uh, you know he was just wearing blackface, but not doing the uh, just the ridiculous caricature caricatures of uh, 
you know, like a deep South African American speech patterns, uh, you know, and, and the other um, actor, the rapper turned actor called him on it halfway through. And he was like, Oh, should we go down and get some crawfish and collard greens? And, you know, if he hadn't have pushed it so far to the ridiculous, you know, almost like um, uh, airplane uh, ridiculousness where they, um, uh, those uh, uh, two African-Americans on the plane, I was having stomach problems and they were trying to convey that to the stewardess, uh, the flight attendant. It was called stewardess right. back then. And it's like, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Does anyone speak jive? And uh, yeah, it was just that level of uh, uh, taking it to that uh, insane level. Uh, and I think there's really not that many actors that are good enough that could really do that. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is excellent. And uh, he played that to perfection. And then he also played uh, during his breakdown later on in the film, he played that to perfection and nailed an Australian accent. I mean, it's just, yeah, very good. Yeah. I love it. I love it in this movie. I don't know how long it'll be before this is seen as problematic, but I don't really give a shit. And I don't think that the Ben Stiller or the co-writers or the creators of this movie ought to care. I think they made the art for the time in which it was made. And you connected with your audience and they did a successful job and that's all you got to care about. Well, I think the other thing that they did well that um, diffused the tension off of the blackface was that, you know, everything was horrible. <laughs> you know, all the characters, like even at the beginning, like I was saying, this a little script, you know, they're the little um, uh, names of all these uh, other soldiers. Uh, they were just calling all sorts of, you know, horribly racist things. Um, at that very beginning, uh, you know, and um, and then of course the thing they got the biggest heat for at that time was um, talking about going full retard. Um, and people were really up in arms about that. Um, but yeah, there was just uh, nothing. It wasn't like they were a little bit PC here, so that people could really say, "Well, you know better," because you were PC at this point. You didn't broach this topic. So obviously you should have known this other topic was bad. No, they were just, you know, everything was so over the top. Uh, it made it a masterpiece in my opinion. Yeah. I love un PC things. And if anything that PC has done, it has killed comedy today. So I don't, I don't really think you, they would make this movie today just because they would be afraid of, you know, all the blue check marks coming out on Twitter and talking about how problematic it would be. Oh yeah. There'd be a huge amount of self-censorship. I mean, yeah, like you're saying, there's no way they could, could do this. Right. And especially not get, what did you say, $80 million of funding to put it out? Yeah, I think $90, $94 million was the budget. Yeah, I mean, nobody's going to fund that if they say, okay, we're going to have, it's going to start off and there's going to be somebody in blackface. And then we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to say the word retard like a, a dozen times. No, it's. <laughs> it is strange how, how on eggshells a lot of companies are these days with how much they fear the Twitter backlash from like a few hundred people mm -hmm. when they really should more care about, you know, how much money the thing is making in. Cause that's, that's how people vote with their dollars. I mean, it, it costs nothing to tweet out some dumbass opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well it is pride month and it does seem like those same corporations are now like bending over themselves to try hey, to hey, signal. Pride signal pride out, you know? pride month at the same time. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That was that was a slip. That was a slip there. But you can't I mean, say the tongue through. Oh, come on! This is, I'm plugging my ears. La 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 la. That's right. You can't say anything. 
you know, just shut my yap here. But uh, I think that even uh, back in 2008, when this was released, it was still a bit of a hubbub. I know that some of the reviews that it received were critical of the blackface. And the response by Stiller and the other writers was, this is more making fun of the char- the actors who get so engrossed in the becoming the character that they go to extremes. And so we're we're not making fun of black people or blackface. We're making fun of actors. Yeah, and that's clear in the film. Each of these, all these character, all the actors are real, you know, morons who are so self-absorbed with their own lives that they can't actually do their jobs without being thrown into this actual situation. Right, and I think that applies also to the the whole um, going full retard. Like, I think that they made a great point. You know, many of the movies that they reference where there's a guy or a character who has some condition or situation that's related, you know, Forrest Gump or Rain Man, um, those are critically acclaimed performances. But, and Downey Jr.'s got a point, but if you go full boat, then it's seen as offensive or degrading or or horrific. And that's what, you know, Simple Jack was. And, and it got called out as such within the movie. And, um, you know, now that I recall, I think, I think, Doc, this is where this came up onto my radar again was because Sean White, the professional snowboarder, was catching heat on Twitter last October for his choice in Halloween costume because he <laughs> dressed as Simple Jack. Oh, yeah. How? I mean, yeah, that, it's just I have no words for people that would get upset about somebody dressing up as somebody in a movie that wasn't actually retarded or didn't have any uh, mental handicap. Well, we have people getting upset about, you know, non-gay actors playing gay roles. Right. And then it's, it's, it's as if you don't actually want actors to have to act. Yeah. Then there was um, uh, someone who's going to play uh, the father to the Williams sisters. And they said he wasn't black enough. Yeah, that was Will Smith. Will Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, we could get this charismatic guy, but nah, he's not black enough. Oh, man. <laughs> you get, like West Knight or yeah. Dimaggio and uh, Hansu or whatever that guy's name is from Gladiator. Yeah. I mean, you can just see how all of these little things are just really eroding the creation of entertainment and art because you have no idea like what people are kind of doing as a self-censorship. Like, oh, this would be really great. But, oh, I don't know. Maybe da 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 instead of uh you know really kind of and going that, right that just paralyzes if they start thinking oh what would so and so think about whatever are you kidding me there's people get offended for anything on twitter and just in general and some intersectionality crap piece of crap on buzzfeed or whatever mm-hmm. so if you live your life trying to please those retards you're never going to do anything right yeah and um you know speaking of mental retardation I, i'm still personally kind of stuck in that because as I went through med school, that was the term. Um, and now it's intellectually handicapped. I can't even remember, but uh, yeah, we'd have, you'd be treating a patient that have cerebral palsy with mental retardation or cerebral palsy without mental retardation. And it would be MRCP or just CP. And, you know, so it's like, it's really ingrained <laughs> that. So it, uh, yeah, so much so that I'm not quite sure the current, word i'm sure that they've uh changed the doctor lingo i I don't do um i just do pain management i don't do the uh uh, pediatric uh, physical medicine rehabilitation where you had a lot of uh, cerebral palsy patients and a lot of patients 
uh, non-cerebral palsy with mental retardation because down syndrome and things like that have a fair amount of, you know, physical manifestations as well that can, you know, limit movement. And um, so, so I think it's intellectually handicapped. I don't know, but you know, once again, imbecile, I mean, used to be the medical term, moron used to be the medical term. So, right. That's exactly right. And whenever the term then gets co-opted and used in the eyes of, you know, whoever is the dict- dictator of society yeah. as offensive, then they change the word in the medical or in the professional arena. And then a few years later, that's the word that crops up on the schoolyard, yeah. you know? And so then they keep having to evolve and change it to the next thing. And then it just gets co-opted and then you can't say anything eventually. I think they just need to roll it back instead. Like, okay, well, we'll go back to imbecile. <laughs> We're just going to back it up and just start it over again. And when people start using that again, then we'll move back to mental retardation. And then we'll back right, all, all I, the I way back to, yeah. Looking up like in a book of insults that, that idiot and moron and imbecile, they all actually have technical definitions, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't moron. They have like, isn't, isn't moron like 50 IQ or whatever? They have certain... Yeah, and dumb is like can't talk or can't uh, speak, right? Dumb is you can't speak. Yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah. yeah didn't it used to be uh, mentally challenged? Um, probably. I don't know that that ever. Uh, I don't think that was ever in the medical literature because mentally challenged. That's not very specific at all. I, I, I would be. It, it doesn't sound like something a doctor would come up with because mentally challenged. You know what does that mean? Uh, right. Very, but then it was special needs. But yeah. then you call someone special needs, and then they get offended. Right. But, uh, you know, I mean, everybody has special needs. And that's also very generic. Like, I have special needs and I would like those. Everybody has mental challenges. Uh, yes. I would like my special needs um, uh, satiated by the free market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you need your jelly beans there, Doc? Oh, man. I need my jelly beans. That's funny because we're just about to finish off a Costco thing of jelly bellies. That thing has been sitting around here for about a year and, you know, just picking away at it. Oh, some friends are coming over, put out a little bowl of jelly beans and just like, get that thing out of my house. I just, every now and then I'll grab a little handful. Okay. Okay. No more than this. <laughs> we're finally almost done and it's out of the house. And I'm like, Oh, thank goodness. No more jelly beans to tempt me. Well, I'm talking about heroin doc. Oh, there's no way. Is jelly beans like a euphemism for heroin? No, but that's what uh, Jack Black's character was carrying his heroin in inside of oh, a jelly bean oh. box. Oh, doggone and it. Then- <laughs> he kept trying to sneak off and like have some. And then people are like, Oh, can I have some of those jelly beans? He's like, no, you can't have my jelly beans. And then the bat swoops in and takes off with it. And oh, he goes it. running off in the jungle, chasing the bat. And then the bat finally crashes down because <laughs> it OD'd. Yes. Sorry. I forgot. It's a jelly bean thing. Yes. Oh, thanks for bringing it back to the, the movie. You know, they did a good job of, they must have some people on staff that have had personal experience with coming down off of opioids because they really paced that withdrawal pretty well. Uh, you know, he's, he's like, uh, oh man, it just, everything was like extra sensitive and like, ah, just, you know, crawling skin out. Hurts. <laughs> yeah, skin hurts. And that very much is, you know, those opioid receptors have been blocked for so long and they become hypersensitive. And, uh, and then yes, people have a very uh, enhanced ability to sense things, pain, smells, uh, feelings, itchiness, uh, all sorts of things. So yeah, they, and it doesn't his jaw doesn't your jaw move a lot? Like I noticed Jack Black was doing that a lot in the movie. Um, well, you have all sorts of uh, agitation. Everyone's a little bit different. I uh, I wouldn't think the jaw movement is is stereotypical for opioid withdrawal. 
Um, there are some medications that can cause different jaw movements, jaw movements like a tardive dyskinesia. But but uh, yeah, just the feeling like ants everywhere and just really needing to move or needing to take a huge dump. I think that was kept referring <laughs> to that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, uh, opioids are very constipating. And then all of a sudden, all those things are gone, and the bowels are waking up, and they're like, "Whoa, I got a week's week's worth of poop in here. I need to move it on out." Yeah, explosive diarrhea, vomiting. <laughs> So this is a nice segue back into the drug war, which in the mm -hmm. opening, Robert, you were saying that the whole reason that this movie is even a thing is because the poppy farmers here are defending their territory, their land mm -hmm. from what they feel are foreign invaders, probably from the DEA uh, over in Vietnam or Laos or Myanmar or wherever they are. Right. Because I think they're supposed to be shooting the film in Vietnam. But then the Nick Nolte character is like, no, you need to throw them in the shit. And so who knows where they flew them off to. Right. Yeah. And, you know, a uh, great example of uh, the black market. People excel in the black market when they are willing to uh, be aggressive and violent. Um, and, you know, if you have no um, natural spontaneous regulation of your uh, market and you have to do everything covertly, uh, you are going to uh, necessarily um, have the the most violent and uh, horrific people get to the top. Uh, and you see that with uh, the, um, the dragons, the uh, golden, golden dragon. Is that, is that who it was? Yeah. I forget the name of the dragon. They're the, some colored dragon, right? Weren't they? Dragon? They are golden what dragon. do you mean colored? <laughs> but the, the, the golden triangle is the real thing, but I don't know about this dragon. I think the dragon thing is made up. Unnaturally. Yeah. yeah see, see his artwork there, Howard? <laughs> Doc, <laughs> you look at them white devil eyes. <laughs> that was a, another line that they say in this. Uh, I wanted to bring up the sort of offhand remark from Brooklyn, played by Jerry Baruchel, who, while they're trekking off without um, Stiller, because it's discovered that they're going the wrong way because he doesn't know how to read a map. Um, and even if they tell him that they're going the wrong way because he doesn't know how to read a map, he continues on going the wrong way. Uh -huh. And and they leave him. And uh, as they're marching back towards what they think is the drop zone where they would be picked up by, by the helicopter, um, he has this discussion with the group about Blu-ray versus HD DVD and how gamers and porn won the Blu-ray market or won the market for Blu-rays because the Sony PlayStation 3 was a Blu-ray player. And so that's why even though the, the technologies were roughly equivalent in how nice they looked and how the audio was um, that that was what decided it was gamers and porn. <laughs> and then of course yes. uh, they're like, are you talking to me? <laughs> talking to me the whole time. But yeah, I, that that's a, a that was a, a real ad lib by the way, by that actor. Oh, oh okay. well, it's, it's actually very, very insightful. Um, Peter Klein, whose specialization is Austrian economics and entrepreneurship. Uh, he's got a lecture series that I'll put, post in our show notes page at uh, lastnighter.com slash 77, where it actually talks about how the market determines these things, not necessarily based on what is the best or highest quality or the highest price or lowest price. It's uh, it's no one can know what's really going to happen when the market shakes things out because it's going to be individual consumers making choices for themselves on what's good enough for their dollar. And so, you know, whoever wins out, it's going to be on these kind of like oddball factors sometimes. Right. And mass adoption helps influence other people's choices. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the reasons why there won't be mass chaos when, you know, we privatize the roads because right. people will generally want 
one road to flow into another road without some jarring change in the rules. Mm -hmm. Right. And also when we don't have a uh, monopoly on justice, because as uh, Doc was saying a moment ago, when you don't have above board available means of dispute resolution, then it becomes this mafia type situation where those who are the most capable of violence are the ones who come out on top. Indeed. And and by the way, that uh, anecdote about that, the Blu-ray topic being an, uh, uh, an ad lib, you get that on the DVD commentary in which Robert Downey Jr. does his character throughout the entire commentary oh, and wow. only breaks at the very, very end, thus making the, 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 the scene in the movie where he talks about not breaking character until he's done the DVD commentary. True. So this is, this is a really nice meta moment if you, anybody wants to watch that. Oh, that is great. You know, the um, HD DVD versus Blu-ray, I was kind of uh, in the thick of that. To get through college and whatnot, in the summers, I sold uh, electronics at a kind of a mid-fi electronics store. And so I was there during the transition from uh, Laserdisc over to Blu-ray and HD DVD. And um, yeah, also a, a big factor was, I think... Um, Blockbuster decided to start carrying Blu-ray um, for rentals, but not HD DVD. I'll have to go back and kind of look at that. But there, there were a couple of rental places that said, that kind of like, said, all right, we're going to have some Blu-rays and uh, went that way. Yeah, and that it, seems like a downstream effect from all the PlayStation 3s that were out there, right? Like if you're, if you're a rental business and you're like, all right, we've got these two technologies and we don't want to support both of them, which one is going to have the bigger market share? Right or have the most revenue come in from rentals, well, there's a bunch of these video game systems out there. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and that was really huge with the PlayStation. I think um, uh, well, Xbox... Of course, Xbox with the HD DVD. HD Xbox DVD, 360. But uh, I think that... Didn't you have to get like a, an add-on or something? Maybe it was just a straight Xbox 360 would run HD DVD or... Ah, shoot, now I can't remember. But yeah, it was you know the Sony and uh, Xbox uh, kind of battling it out. Yeah, I think the HD DVD was cheaper to create because it was only like a slightly denser HD, you know, a DVD. But then the Blu-ray was more expensive, but it had more data on it. And I guess, yeah, Hollywood and porn liked the the more data aspect. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Why wouldn't you? Now. Anyway, that's all moot now. It's all digital streaming. So nobody cares. All right. I want to bring up the um, McConaughey character a little bit because when Stiller accidentally kills a panda... And he's known for like supporting panda awareness or save the panda like advertisements and stuff on the back of magazines. Uh, he uh, he's very saddened by killing it without realizing what it was because he was he thought he was fighting for his life and you know how it's depicted it looked like he definitely was um, and it it reminded me of uh, the bear fight at the end of Legends of the Fall but it, this one ends up with the bear losing but when he talks to McConaughey Pecker. Uh, he's like, I killed her. I killed her. And McConaughey is like, oh my gosh, you killed a hooker? All right, get some bleach and a shitload of lime. <laughs> he's like, going to talk him through like how to get rid of all the evidence and everything. And uh, I don't know. I just, that, as, as fucked up as it is, it like just struck me as funny for some reason. Yeah, this, this movie is very funny. Not only is it clever and satirical, it's, it's still funny to this day, as long as you're not some overly offended snowflake. Right. It also goes to show the depths of the relationship that he has, Peck and Tug, Pecker and Tug. Oh, wait, I just I think I just got a joke there. <laughs> right. Yes. Tug, Tug and Pecker. Yes. Yeah. Because they're like best friends or whatever. They call um, them Tuggernuts. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Tuggernuts. That's right. 
but uh, you know that that just shows the depth of the relationship, and it makes the um, moral conundrum as presented by the Tom Cruise character uh, a little bit more believable uh-huh. because when Tug is going the wrong way, as we talked about, you know, when they show him on the map, hey, you're going the wrong way, and he continues going the wrong way. He finally gets captured by the uh, heroin guys, the golden dragons or whatever they are, and they want to ransom him. And as part of the deal, you know, the less, what, what's his name? Less, uh, less Tom Grossman. Grossman. Less Grossman. He's such a pompous ass and he has no time for anybody. So he like is just really uh, expletive laden and very abrasive. And they're like demanding money. And he's like, fuck you and stick it up your fucking ass. And I'm going to call the UN to rain fire on you because they're going to need a cease and desist you know, resolution to make me stop from killing you or some shit. Uh, I, I can't even do it justice. But, uh, you know, that was that was a case of like they didn't under, they, they miscommunicated like they didn't know what was going on at that time, that it was really a hostage situ- situation. But then that eventually leads to the hostage situation, which I know, Robert, you wanted to kind of break down a little bit here. Well, I do. I want to talk about. You know, if if Grossman is actually in the wrong in any way by not offering up to pay money to release the hostage, because McConaughey cool. is very much kind of upset about the whole situation. He, he feels, you know, obviously it's his friend and he's not going to sell him out or he's not going to leave him out hanging in the breeze, so to speak. And he wants Grossman it's not well. It's not exactly clear what he wants Grossman to do, but he thinks that somehow paying the ransom is some sort of an obligation that Grossman has, and he's kind of horrified that Grossman's like, "Nah, we'll just let them kill him, and we'll take out insurance policy on him, and we'll end up making more money in the long run." And we'll open up a scholarship or something. Yeah, we'll still have a scholarship his honor, whatever, and you'll get, and you'll by going along, you'll get uh, a bunch of money and a new jet, and you know you won't be able to live with yourself, but you know whatever. I can tell you and, haven't had Walter Block on <laughs> defending the Undefendables. <laughs> Absolutely. Because a couple of years back, the story came out that Walmart was taking out life insurance policies on their employees. Mm-hmm. And that when an employee would die, they'd cash in this policy and actually make some money. And they took a lot of heat for it. But why shouldn't they? It's absolutely in their own economic interests mm-hmm. to take out these policies on their employees. When one of them dies, they have to replace them. It costs money to replace an employee, train a new employee. Mm-hmm. And just like that, Grossman is in the same situation. In fact, he probably has insurance policies on every production he makes. Sure. And different insurance companies, you know, probably if well, you're shooting in X place, it's going to give you this rate and you have all these stars and it's going to be this much. Well, you have a lot of money at stake. And a lot of money is a lot of people's time and energy. Yeah. And... Uh, the, the bad guys in this situation, well, I mean, it's not clear because, you know, I mean, they're defending their they're defending their property from an invading army. But then when it's clear that they just actors stumbling onto their property, they're probably the bad guys at that point. Oh, so yes. demanding ransom. Yeah. But so if they end up the ones killing Tug, they're the bad guys, not Grossman. I mean, does anybody have any differing opinions or any nuance they want to add to this? I, I I think Grossman is, I mean, other than like bribing Tug to be quiet about the whole situation, or no, not Tug. What is it? Tug Pecker Pecker Who's um, Pecker Pecker. But that's well, kind of slimy. But here's a go ahead another um, thought experiment off of that. You know, in libertarian or anarchist circles, we talk oftentimes a lot about how 
sometimes underlying uh, enforcement of social order could potentially come from insurance companies. And uh, yeah. this is a, a wonderful example of who do you think is going to be better at figuring out the truth of what happened? Um, you know, some random FBI agent who's overloaded or the people at the insurance company that are about to put out a hundred million dollars for this loss, you know, aren't they really going to be digging in? All right, well, let's see what communications did you have with Tugman? You know, when did you know he was in danger? You know, they're going to get to the bottom of this um, pretty darn efficiently. And uh, I think that uh, it would be very difficult in actuality for this less Grossman to get full payment on that, uh, on that death, because it potentially could have been preventable if the insurance company had a financial stake in it and there was an option to pay, um, uh, to pay for the release and he wouldn't have been killed. They should have been in on that, that uh, financial decision and that conversation. And so by withholding that information from the insurance company, I think it's going to be pretty quick that the insurance company is going to sniff out, okay, why on earth is this person down there? Why was he captured? How was he captured? Did you have any kind of contact with him? Um, and uh, so, but it, if you take kind of the, that same concept of, okay, these people are being greedy. Uh, greed is kind of an inherent human nature. And then you kind of flip it. Okay, so this is somewhat of a decision in the free market. You have an insurance that's going to pay out. It's going to buffer uh, or potentially offset all the losses in this film. Um, and then the only oversight that you have is the insurance company. Uh, I feel that insurance company is going to be very good at finding out what's going on because they do not want to pay that out. If you take that and move that over into the government sphere and you have the exact same type of a conversation with, let's say, a general and a lieutenant and uh, they're in the military and it's uh, talking about Syria and this lieutenant comes up and is like, hey, hey, you're going to tell me that we are going to aid and abed Al-Qaeda in Iraq in order to help us defeat ISIS, who we just supported before to help cut down the insurgency in Iraq, but they but they overgrew. And so now we're going to support Al-Qaeda? And then the general's like, all right, now it's time to see if you're a player. And then you're, they're not going to play that uh, rap song, but they, you know, they might play Rocky Like a Hurricane or something like that. So if you can just imagine your Rocky Like a Hurricane going on in the background, he's like, all right, it's the reward room. Tell me what you want. And uh uh, you want a corner office? Oh, yeah, you can have a corner office. Uh, you want your own uh, command? Uh, I'm going to turn you into a colonel. And uh, then uh, the Pecker character would be like, you mean to tell me that I'm going to stand in front of my troops and tell them that we're going to support the people. And I just lost some troops to those very same people, and now we're going to support them just so I could become a colonel, a full bird colonel. Hmm, it's like, playa. You know, but... Who, you know, that type of uh, a discussion, you know, surely goes on. But who's going to really dig in to the government to find out the truth of that matter? I mean, the press, uh, you know, they get access and privileges to the inner circle the more that they kind of play along. And uh, they just don't have their incentives aligned correctly in order to really dig into this. It's only the independent media that's really kind of dug in to figure out all of these different intricacies of, okay, well, we were, you know, supporting this type of jihadist. Now we're supporting that type of jihadist to get rid of these other jihadists that we accidentally created. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I have 
very little trust in uh, the uh, greedy portion of human nature, uh, other than if we can uh, align that greed in a way that's pro-social, that the acceptable things that we create with greed um, are kind of regulated by uh, other actors in kind of an open way. Once you market forces basically right market forces i mean when once you start to kind of obscure that with the force of government uh it be, it ramps up the consequences and so you're talking about this greed leading potentially to tug speedman's death versus uh you know the greed that our politicians have shown leading to a million iraqi deaths all right i think i'm following what you what you're saying here it, it's a little long so i'm gonna have to try to like process it for a moment but i think what you're saying is that in the insurance situation, there is a market actor, market consequence or a market check on the behavior of Les Grossman. And that's why he has to try to buy off the McConaughey character because the insurance company is sure as shit going to investigate this situation to make sure that it is a valid claim that they're going to have to pay out. And if they find anything that is uh, inconsistent with the narrative, um, including, you know, like all those things that you listed, um, they're not going to pay it out. And so they're going to find out that Grossman is trying to commit insurance fraud. Conversely, in the government situation, there is no separate actor that's really a check on that situation. It's more um, obscured and protected under the veil of government or military secrecy. And so uh, any um, human nature situation that arises is going to be exacerbated by the ability to more get away with it. And then you're going to have worse outcomes than if it were any market based situation where there were consequences to actions what you said <laughs> correct all right i think i i think i figured it out all right um robert any any comment to that and then we'll start uh, probably doing some final summary stuff here well i just want to agree with everything you guys have said not to be lame or anything but you were all correct on what you were talking about um just to add to this idea that i mean i think there's a certain amount of distaste that comes on when you talk about you know taking out an insurance policy on or a life insurance policy on an actor or an employee, and then you put them in a situation where there's a chance that they could die. There's a chance that anybody could die at any time. Making money off of the death, it's not, you know, they could say that there's like some sort of conflict of interest, but it really it's just, you're, you're protecting. And I suppose, I mean, you could, if you're like a, you know, an angry spouse and you take out an insurance policy on your husband and then you get him murdered or whatever, then you collect the money. Yeah, of course that's immoral and horrific, but there's, there's nothing wrong with protecting against loss by, you know, managing your risk. Um, it seems to me that making money off of death seems distasteful to people because making money off of human misery is distasteful to people. And I think it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of who makes money off of human misery. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the first season of Iron Fist. I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast before. I've probably talked about it to people, but in the, you know, Danny Rand is this off on in this mystical journey and he's this monk with this power to punch people really hard. And he comes back to the Western world to his fame and fortune where he's the owner now of like Rand Chemical or Rand Incorporated or whatever. And they make pharmaceuticals and they're talking about this new drug in this boardroom and the kind of quote bad guys talking about selling it for a really high rate. And Rand's like, what? then the people wouldn't be able to afford it who need it. We can't make money off of human misery. We're going to make, you know, make it, we're going to sell it at cost, which, you know, is just stupid for a bunch of reasons. Like you're, the profit you make off of this product is going to fund new 
research and it's going to be a market signal that you're doing a good thing and on and on and on. But saying that you profit off of human misery and therefore it's immoral to do it is a fundamental misunderstanding of who profits off of human misery. Like farmers profit off of human misery because it's miserable to be hungry. Doctors, doc anarchy, profits off of human misery because it's miserable to be sick and in pain. You, Uh, buddy. I literally stick needles in people. Yeah. Causing them pain. He causes them pain and he, he only gets business when you feel crappy. Yeah. So he profits off of your misery. Home builders profit off of human misery because it's miserable to be homeless. It goes on and on and on. Pretty much everybody profits off of human misery. So it's just this virtue signaling of, by dumb people really annoys me. Like I said, that's my entire point. Well, yeah. oh, well. at it the wrong way. Like you're profiting because you're solving the problem. You're making somebody's situation better off than before. That's what motivates them to take you up on that offer. It's mutually beneficial exchange. You're offering something that they think is going to make them better off. And they're willing to trade their dollars for the thing that you're offering and vice versa. Right. Because right. happiness is a scarce resource like everything else. And if you're offering something that contributes towards happiness or satisfaction, another way to put it. Yeah. So these are all just glass half full communists or uh, economic ignoramuses or dummies or retards, morons. They're more retard, full retard. Well, one place that uh, happiness was not a scarce resource was in my house watching this movie. Nice. Way to bring it back. Yeah. Thank you for for making me me, me happy. (laughs) In my mind movies. Oh, we got, you know, we got to talk about my favorite line, which is the lead farmer. <laughs> they go, uh, um, when he was um, confronting, um, uh, he was like, what kind of, what kind of farmer are you? And it's like a oh, farm, farm. And he whips out those guns. And I'm a lead farmer. Motherfucker. <laughs> oh, I didn't, man, that just cracked me up so bad. I don't know why. Yeah, that, that. Well, it is featured prominently in that song I was telling you about that is in the credits. So it's strong. It's strong. Definitely check that out. Um, I have one final note before we get into final summary and review, and that is related to the Stockholm syndrome that is displayed mm. by the Tug Speedman character after he is taken in and tortured and then forced to replay his Simple Jack character on a nightly basis um, while being abused. And then he feels like he has now become one of them. And when the uh, the the other actors show up to save him, he doesn't want to go. And then there's this uh, confrontation with uh, the Robert Downey Jr. character, who also sort of breaks down and like has a bit of a crisis of his identity. And then he, he too is also not wanting to leave. And um, you know, Stockholm syndrome is definitely a thing. You know, it's like you start to feel sympathies or identify with your captors, and um, this bond forms. And I, I wonder if it's related to you know how in uh, like fraternities they'll haze or in the military, you know, you go through like boot camp together and then those guys become your brothers because you went through a traumatic experience together. I wonder if it's like a similar uh, type of situation, not, you know, not like totally identical, but the um, you go through some kind of mental anguish or pain together, some suffering together, uh, both in those fraternal fraternity things. And then also, you know, as with the uh, Stockholm syndrome situation, and I think I'll, I'll spin this one to you, Doc, because you might know a bit more about this. Uh, maybe that's why the uh, progressives are so cohesive right now in their hatred of Trump. That was such a traumatic experience when he won that they're like, ah, <laughs> and they're all uh, coming together with group identity. Um, yeah, it's like when you have the the drill sergeant that everybody hates, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am. 
not well versed in Stockholm syndrome, but it definitely is uh, uh, a thing that's very real. Um, and oftentimes, what abusers will do um, in any type of uh, kind of um, you know uh, abuse situation or mind control type situation um, is to always tell the truth to your captive. Um, like, okay, I'm going to beat you now. Um, food's going to be delivered at this time and it's only going to be this and da, 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 da. And so their perception of who they can trust is altered and disturbed. And once that trust is established, then the emotion of attachment comes along with it. Um, and so, yeah, if you ever want to manipulate people, that's, that's your little ticket. Um, All right, this should be behind the paywall, everyone. <laughs> I'll preview for you. Uh, we'll we'll abuse them later, and then they'll. Uh, but you know that uh, that's the thought anyway, as far from my recollection, as far as how these um, uh, cults, Stockholm syndrome, abusive relationships, all of that uh, kind of can come in. It, it it does oftentimes have pain, trauma, shared suffering, um, and. Uh, routine pattern and uh, telling the truth by the captor of so there's so what becomes comfortable is that pattern and honesty and then once something doesn't fit that even if that is someone coming to save you that break in the pattern that break in the idea of what's true uh, creates a lot of cognitive dissonance um, and people just can't really accept it um, and they stick with their captors or their abusive husbands or their cult. It's sad. Until they have a two-year-old on their back stabbing them in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> and then they toss them off the bridge and then they blow the bridge. Uh, anyway, uh, why don't we get into some final summaries and reviews. And uh, Robert, why don't you show our, our guest the pattern and then uh, give a rating 1 through 10, a decimal point deep. And then we'll go to Doc Anarchy and I'll close it out. Okay, as long as you guys don't mind my cat grinding on my microphone. It might be bumping a little bit. She's she's really excited to be here. So Tropic Thunder, man, when I first saw this movie, I loved it. Loved everything about it. And rewatching it, you know, I've seen the movie multiple times over the years. And I the laughter has gone kind of pretty much away for the most part. There's still a few good lines that really still get me. But it doesn't diminish my appreciation. It's, it's mostly just because, you know, all humor, the 500th time you've seen the same joke, you're not going to laugh as hard as you did the first time you heard it. It's not a slight against the film. This movie isn't necessarily meant to be seen as many times as I've seen it. And I've seen it that many times just because it's so quality. I mean, in everything it does, everything it's trying to do as a send up of modern movie making as the, you know, the egos of the actors involved and all their little insulated issues and how the, the one actor who's actually trying, well, there's the super dedicated actor, the, the Robert Downey Jr. character, but then there's the the young up and coming actor who's really, you know, this is this big shot. And so he actually tries, he goes to the boot camp and he reads the script and he reads the book, the movies off of, and all these established actor guys, they're just like, what, why would you ever do that? I, I make, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm here to, you know, use my brand to really upgrade and blah, 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 all that business. So it's a fun send up of that. And I really enjoyed it still. Um, if you haven't seen the film or if you've just seen it a few times, yeah, it's definitely worth a rewatch. Uh, I can't imagine the mindset of the human being that would be offended by watching it, but I know those people exist. 
I just think they're miserable people. It's my own opinion, but this is a, a fantastic film. Definitely worth a see. And I, I can't give anything under an eight. It's just so good. Um, yeah, eight, eight point one. Great film. Doc? Uh, scale of zero to 10. Uh, is it specifically within the comedy genre or just movie in general? Whatever you want, baby. Oh, uh, seven, eight. All right. A man, a few words at the end here. <laughs> seven point eight. All right. And uh, oh. I'm going to agree with with Robert. This is the type of movie that it goes so over the top that it, it goes beyond the point of offense. And it actually becomes funny because they go to such extremes. And I think that would be a challenge to do a movie like this today and i'm a bit surprised that these uh, actors of today don't get this movie and other things they've done in the past dredged up uh, as we seem to see every now and again um on twitter and other areas where oh this person starred in this movie 35 years ago and it had racial overtones and therefore this person is bad um somehow that somehow these guys get a pass and i'm not sure exactly sure why but um I do appreciate that they did make this movie and I really enjoyed it. I saw it when it first came out and then I rewatched it again for the second time um, just last night and there were still plenty of laughs for me. So I'm going to go with a 7.7 to go with our episode 77 of Last Nighters. Show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 77. Now, Robert, next week. So is the next movie going to get a 7.8, Daniel? Is that what's going on here? (laughs) I think you're noticing a pattern here. Um, and it might, it might, but the critics, as uh, Doc was saying at the beginning here, uh, critics can be harsh where audiences like something. But next week, we're doing a movie that not only the critics hated, but so did audiences. It is going to be Batman v Superman, which got shit on and upon uh, in both areas. And, and rightfully so. Although I haven't seen the extended cut, and our guest claims. This is a bold claim, by the way. And very bold, bold claims require bold evidence. He claims that this movie, in the director's extended version, whatever, is a masterpiece or very close to a masterpiece. I'm sure he's going to have a few quibbles. But I remember watching the film in its original shortened theatrical format and just being horrified by how terrible it was. But we'll see. Maybe it all comes together in the extended cut. I don't know. I'm eager to find out. It's It'll be amazing if 12 added minutes... On top of the two plus and polish a turd <laughs> of misery that you went through, will actually turn that turd into a golden nugget. So we will see next week with our guest Shaheen, who is returning. He's our Batman guy. We had him on for Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, and uh, Batman Return. Which, which one was it? The animated one, Dark Knight Returns. That was a good yeah. One. It's it's yeah the two part version that tells basically the Dark Knight Returns, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. Right, yeah. So he's really good. He's our Batman guy, so he'll be back with us next week on episode 78 of the show, Dark Knight, or Batman versus... There's no way that movie's going to get a 7.8 from you. There's no no freaking way, but we'll find out. We will find out. I'll be watching it in the next couple days, and we'll find out. So uh, anyway, that's about going to wrap it up for us at The Last Nighters over here. So um, our guest has been Doc Anarchy. You can find his website and his soon-to-be show, at honoringronpaul.com. Any final words, Doc, for our audience before we say goodnight? Uh, great movie. And, uh, you know, the um, the Tom Cruise cameo uh, unannounced that Tom Cruise was in there. I didn't even recognize him for most of the movie. Uh, just he, if he was ever going to win an Academy Award, it should have been for Tropic Thunder. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. He was also yeah, he's, good in Australia. Yeah, he's almost rec- unrecognizable. He, he does a great blowhard movie producer guy 
I'm sure he's he's encountered a few. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us here. So uh, I'll say good night from last night, everyone. All right, a few more minutes with the actual Anarchy audience. Uh, I'm a rooster illusion. And um, Robert, while your internet crapped out. I yeah, I probably missed a bunch of stuff. Yeah, you did. And it's okay. You can listen to the show sometime. I mean, you never do listen to the show other than the first time when you're actually doing the show. But maybe this one you'll be able to pick up on because you missed some great content where I was talking about Danny McBride, who oh. uh, was the pyrotechnic, pyromaniac in this movie. Yes. And he's also fabulous in Eastbound and Down and Vice Principles. Both shows are HBO shows. And uh, I don't know. I just, his humor is, it just gets me. And he's in this um, movie with Jay Bearshell and um, uh, who, who, uh, James Franco and Daryl from The Office uh, called This Is the End. That has, hmm. it's a terrible movie, but it's got some really funny stuff in it. But anyway, um, my wife was telling me the other day, when she overheard me playing our show, Legends of the Fall, because I do listen to our own shows, because I'm that conceited and vain, um, that our guest, the professional asshole, sounds like Danny McBride in his cadence and how he speaks in his voice. Do you do you think that is a true statement? Would you agree with that? Because um, as soon as my wife said it and then I listened to him, I was like, oh, you're right. He sounds just like him. Only, you know, McBride's like super funny. Um, and the pro professional asshole is just, he exudes manliness. So it's a little bit of a different thing, but they do sound very similar. I'll have to take your word on it because I have never thought that. But I'm not a huge McBride fan. I mean, I think he's a talented guy and he plays his, um, I don't know, whatever whatever you would call it. I mean, he's pretty much the same person in every movie. He just yeah, plays some we, version of Dan McBride. Yeah, we don't, he doesn't have what we call the range. <laughs> no, but but he what he does is funny enough, right? I mean, he's just a funny guy in general. So if you want to see a Danny McBride do a Danny McBride, go for it. Uh, I'd have to listen to him back to back, I think. But I'll take your word for it. Okay, well, I think if you uh, come up this weekend, which I think we've talked about, I will have the Pepsi challenge prepared for you so you can hear them and make the determination. All right. Uh, Doc, anything that wasn't mentioned during the last night's portion of the show regarding the movie or just in general you want uh, the actual Anarchy audience to be aware of or know before we get into the Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is available for our Patreon supporters at actualanarchy.com slash Patreon. Um, no. Sorry, I was confusing there in the, uh, the middle there about the, uh, uh, the colonel and the military and all that. <laughs> No, I thought it was good. I was just, I was ready to jump in like four or five times with something to say. And then you kept going and I was like, uh, okay, well, I lost that. Uh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I kind of had a you know a little stream of consciousness there. I, I, I kind of been thinking about, you know, that you know, just the idea of um, the frequency of bad outcomes in private sector versus the public sector and the ripple effect that, you know, one evil person can have i guess it, it kind of goes back to the idea of um that i kind of thought about uh, you know uh hitler versus ford you know this is a bit of a stretch here uh, but both of them were pretty darn anti-semitic um and both of them were egomaniacal very strong-willed uh one of them exert gets his rocks off on you know having complete control over a company um very dogmatic in his approach um, 
and wants to create perfect company. Uh, the other wants to create the perfect country. Uh, one is working in the free market and, and as such uh, has consequences to exclusion of people, uh, has consequences to hurting people. And the other is in a government uh, just as um, uh, anti-Semitic in their pre prior uh, writings. Um, but one of them goes off and starts a world war and kills millions of people and specifically targets uh, Jews, gypsies, and homosexuals. And uh, with the power and belief in government, you end up with a world catastrophe versus the private sector. You end up with uh, a bunch of cars and a company that's still going forward. Um, two leaders, both widely regarded as complete a-holes and very different outcomes um, because of the system that they're kind of forced into. Not forced into, but, you know, system that they're working within. I love that comparison. That's very apt. Two very similar personality types. Mm -hmm. but one's in the public and one's in the private. One creates value and the other one destroys value. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the sad thing. I mean, I guess, um, you know, Jordan Peterson kind of talks about uh, a lot of this, how, you know, there's kind of, uh, there's evil. Um, and we think of evil as things others do. Um, but if we don't come to terms with our own internal potential for evil and address that and do things that are upright and moral for an internal source, you can have really bad outcomes. Um, but it just within the structure of government and kind of offloading the consequences to unseen others really amplifies people's own ability to be evil. Um, and uh, it's just, Absolutely. It's just tricky. I mean, you think, uh, you know, like Pol Pot, right? Um, and the Khmer Rouge. I mean, here is I've heard of him. An, an intellectual who thinks he's got all these great ideas and uh, comes over and thinks he can run Cambodia. And he's kind of a anarcho-primitivist uh, and thinks that uh, anybody can farm and we just need to get back to Mother Earth. And, you know, percentage-wise, uh, he kills the most people. He killed a quarter of his population. Uh, all based on intellectual concepts and ideas that he thought were right. Uh, yeah, it's just, he's a true, uh, true believer. This is horrible. A lot of these people have great intentions. And so what? What if? And that's yeah. And so what if he had started a company that he was like, all right, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get people out to the fields and we're gonna be worker owned and we're all gonna come together and we're gonna make some rice and uh, I would have gone out of business and like, okay, well, make an angry blog and complain about crap. <laughs> There's anything wrong with making angry blogs and complaining about crap? I don't want to. <laughs> but you know, you know, versus killing a quarter of your population, you know that that the mechanism of government is uh, very dangerous. And you know, like um, you know, Larkin Rose kind of talks about it's the most dangerous superstition of religion. Uh, scary. Yeah, I would definitely agree. That that almost sounds uh, like a Higgs point, where it's the concentration of the uh, power that allows the concentration of the ability to project violence into the world mm -hmm. where you get wars and all of these atrocities from, whereas in a market-based system, you wouldn't be able to concentrate or amass that much power into one individuals or one group of individuals hands. Um, it, it just, it's a, it's a very dangerous situation with, with the government as, you know, related to how you are presenting your kernel and general option uh, versus the insurance option with Les Grossman here. Yeah. But, I think um, we need to end it here for the actual anarchy audience. And uh, if you want any more of our conversation, we'll get into some Kathleen Turner overdrive after this. So hit us up at Patreon 
so actuallyanarchy.com slash Patreon. This has been episode 134 of the show, and you can find the show notes more at actuallyanarchy.com slash 134. Our guest has been Doc Anarchy. You can check out his website at Honoring Ron Paul and his soon-to-be released to the world podcast, hopefully with us as his number one guest. So we're looking forward to that. And uh, join us next week when we have Shaheen back on the show to talk about Batman v Superman. So that's it, everybody. We're going to go to Kathleen Turner Overdrive. Good night. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do. days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.